There's a tiny $100 bill on the lawn. I just saw it a, a, a minute or two ago when I was bringing in the trash and recycling bins on this sunny morning in early January 2024. I have no idea what it could be. I mean, uh, usually there's been these kind of things. Oh, it's still there, hopefully, because there's a lot of wind, too. It must have blown over here. It's been very windy the past couple days. Or did I miss it? No, there it is. There it is. Uh, usually, I haven't looked at it yet. It looks sort of, it's miniature, so it's about one by two inches. And it's showing the back of a $100 bill. I'm thinking it's going to be some weird religious thing on the other side. That usually is what it is. Let me take a picture of it as it is on the lawn. It's right on the edge of the sunlight and the shadow. Let me take a wider shot and a close-up shot of this little $100 bill. But yeah, it's like a modern $100 bill with that <coughs> kind of gold-colored, I don't know if it's a hologram or whatever. Let's see what's going on here. Yeah, yesterday also I put it, put put all of the Christmas decorations back in the garage. All right, let's see what's going on with this thing. <laughs> no, it's just completely a little... This is probably from a, a, a kid's play set. Oh, yeah, right? It's okay to make fake money if it's tiny like this, because no one except perhaps the least intelligent among our population would accept this as money. You know, but... Maybe you could just bring it to a store. Here's a hundred dollars. Well, that looks smaller than the usual ones. I don't know what to tell you. It's a limited edition. It's a hundred bucks. Give me some change. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, there's Ben Franklin. The hologram strip, which of course here is just non-holographic, and yeah, the. Uh, what is that building on the back? Is that the Continental Congress or something from Philadelphia or something? I don't know. Didn't they? W w there were two renditions of hundreds like this. This is this is the second one or the first one. Anyway, because <laughs> a lot of times you like in the past you'd see like uh, it looks like there's a five dollar bill on the ground folded up, but when you open it up, it's like congratulations, you found Jesus. You know, <laughs> like things like that. But this is just, yeah, this must be from like a playset or something. That's interesting. Ben Franklin. Didn't they find all those dead bodies in his basement? Whatever happened with that? I know the guy's been dead for a while and you can't really prosecute him, but did he murder all those people or was it just a coincidence? He was not president, by the way. I know everyone likes to talk about some dead presidents. The paper money's like dead presidents. But yeah, he wasn't, and uh, Jack, I don't think Jackson was either. So two out of the, well, if you want to count the uh, $1,000 and $10,000, $100,000 bills, those were all presidents, I think. McKinley? No, McKinley and Grover Cleveland and, oh, I don't know. What should I do with this? I'll put it over here for now. Strange. Fake money on the lawn. Yeah, because it, yeah, it must be a kid's playset, you know. There even was like, uh, you can even get like, quote unquote, fake money that's used for like films and stuff. But that looks very close to being counterfeit. You don't want to have that. You, know, you don't want to have that in your possession. 
hell's that up there? Some shiny things up in a tree, maybe shards of old silvery balloons in the tree up there. Could be. Anyway, good morning. What's going on this morning? I guess it's a little, it's chilly out here, but not super chilly. It's not like below freezing or anything. Very sunny. Things look a little empty without the Christmas. Well, we didn't have that many Christmas decorations, but enough. I guess it looks like my neighbors took down some of theirs, too. Well, as it is the 11th of, uh, of January, it may be about time to take down the decorations. Though if they're... Like, I had, you know, a pair of, like, reindeer that lit up and a, and a, and a tree that lit up. It wasn't... It could be considered winterish decorations, but yeah. It's, it's more special if it's only up for a little while. Most people have taken down their decorations. So we're getting ready for the year 2024. Yeah. What the heck kind of plant is that? That looks very healthy. <laughs> I never noticed this plant before over here. Anyway, let's get the day going. What do you want? All right, it's a little bit later now. I had a feeling I was wrong, so yes, Andrew Jackson was president. It's Alexander Hamilton who was not president, so two of them are not presidents on the commonly used money here in the U.S. George Washington on the $1 bill, Thomas Jefferson on the $2 bill, Abraham Lincoln on the $5 bill, Andrew Jackson, who was president, on the $20 bill, Ulysses S. Grant on the $50 bill, Right, yeah. And then Benjamin Franklin on the 100. <coughs> Alexander Hamilton and Ben Franklin were not presidents. And as far as the more exotic bills that are no longer being made, um, it says here uh, William McKinley was on the 500, Grover Cleveland on the 1,000, James Madison on the 5,000, and <laughs> another non-president, Salmon Chase, it's like, uh, I don't think I've ever heard of Salmon Chase. What is he, go chase fishes around? Salmon Chase? Was featured on the $10,000 bill. He was Secretary of Treasury under President Lincoln and Chief Justice at the Supreme Court. Woodrow Wilson, a president, was on the who signed the Federal Reserve Act, geez, thanks, was featured on the $100,000 bill, which is not legal for anyone to any regular people to have because it's, uh, I guess it's property of the Federal Reserve or something. Anyway, so that's your story. So there is that one other non-president, Salmon Chase. What's up with Salmon Chase? I mean, who is this? Salmon Chase, there he is. Was he on the $10,000 bill? Or? Yeah. Yeah, $10,000 bill. Do they have, like, kids' toy money of the $10,000 bill? They should if they don't. Oh, here's a $10,000 bill for sale for $450,000? Now, wait a minute. That's a heck of a markup. But I guess if you want a picture of Sam and Chase on a piece of paper and you have that much money, do it. $10,000 bill, jeez. Oh, there's the five thousand. That only the five thousand dollar bill only cost two hundred thirty nine thousand dollars. 
And look, a 1993 $50 bill is only $84.95. <laughs> nice. Salmon. Mr. Salmon Chase. So wait, what was his time period? I see. I wonder if they have any like recordings of him. Mm, he died in uh, 1873, so yeah. No. Did they have recording? I think that's a little early for a recording. They have photos of him though. There he is. Hmm. It looks like the, the birthplace of Salmon Chase is in eight miles north of Claremont on New Hampshire Route 12A, right on the Vermont border. So apparently it's now a bed and breakfast. Do they have those anymore? I thought those were all Airbnbs. Let's see. The Chase House Inn. Yeah. You could stay. Can you imagine? You can stay in the same house that Sam and Chase was born in, the guy on the $10,000 bill. Wow. <coughs> the house's significance arises because it is the only known building associated directly with the life of Sam and P. Chase, 1808 to 1873. Chase was born in this house and lived here until he was eight, when he was sent to live with relatives in Ohio after his father died. Wow. So... You can stay there. I mean, book now. The king suite, the comfortable king bed and private bath. Yeah. Well, only $175 a night. No, $150 for the cheap rooms, $200 for the Abraham Lincoln room. Nice. The Edward Bates room. <coughs> nah, that's not too bad. Like, what's... What's there? Like, is there anything to do around there? I don't know. I mean, you can appreciate the history of Sam and Chase. I wonder if they have a $10,000 bill there. Just to sh They should have one, even though it's obviously really expensive and would be, you know, a, a theft risk, obviously. I think they could just have a reproduction of one. Can you get a reproduction $10,000 bill? Let's see. $10,000 bill... Wall art. This is probably what they could put up, right? Yeah, a, p a poster <coughs> of a ten thousand dollar bill. Oh yeah, look, a giant five hundred dollar bill for your wall. People that are very like obsessed with money and money obsessed, and who isn't these days? You could have a big picture of money on your wall. Yeah, there's the ten thousand dollar bill, a glossy poster picture photo. You can even get like a 17 by 22 version. I don't know. I want bigger than that. Like the 500 is like 10 feet long. Right? It's a mural. Do they? I mean, I'm assuming there's McKinley. <laughs> that guy does not look pleased. He looks like he's pissed off. McKinley was a permanently pissed off guy. Look at that guy. He looks so angry. He's like, I'm angry, damn it. And it I, I could tell 
in, in 2024, most people will not even know who I am. It makes me angry. Let me see, sticker brand. Hmm. I want to see if they have the, the salmon one. They should have that in one of the rooms at the salmon house, right? I would say. 48 by 114 inches. That's like a 156 bucks, though. $10,000 bill. Okay, let's see if we can find it here. Do, do, do. They should have all the different kinds of money. No, they only have a hundred and a, uh, a five hundred. What's up with that? Like I said, they're not big fans of Mr. Mr. Sam and Chase. Ooh, more deliveries. <coughs> In fact, uh, <coughs> when I paused before, <coughs> I was wondering about this thing I ordered. Last I checked, these puzzles. Last I checked. It said uh, on the tracking, I think I just checked last night. It's like uh, label created awaiting awaiting a delivery. So I'm like, I'm ever going to get this. This is a scam company. What's going on? But no, it's here. It just arrived. <laughs> Pitney Bowes. Anyway, these are some puzzles I got. Uh, the site was called Brilliant Puzzles. Forget exactly how I, I think... On one of my feeds, I found um, there was a someone showed an image of a a little puzzle. These are not like jigsaw puzzles. It's like a little how do you describe it? It's like little mazes inside a, a, a case, a clear case, and little balls you have to move around, right? So I've always been fascinated by these. This is a type of puzzle that's um, you know been around for a long time, and there's been many different brands like Longcrane Broxton is one that is no longer with us, but they made a bunch of those things. It was just you would always see them like in gift stores and toy stores, but it was never like a big brand, right? It was usually <coughs> like small brands, and then they would disappear. So it's really kind of a fascinating field of collecting. Apparently there's a, a Japanese company called WADA, W-A-D-A, that um, made a lot of wood-based ones that they're very hard to find. In fact, the reason I got on this kick is I have this book called Cube Index that I bought, and there was a Kickstarter for it, and it contains, and I talked about it on the show, but it contains um, like thousands of, of images of these uh, little puzzles, and it's focused on Rubik's Cube and that kind of puzzles, of which there are thousands of variations, the 2x2, 3x3, 4x4, etc., Rubik's Snake, you know, um, the Missing Link, all these different toys. This is an exhaustive project to catalog these things. And they also have the dexterity games, which are all these little – and I've always been fascinated by them with the little metal balls inside. And you have to roll it around. It's like a maze or get the balls in the holes. And I've always been a real fan of those and fascinated by those, especially, of course, if you remember the Tomy um, pocket games. They were called Pocketeers in uh, Britain, but <coughs> what were they called in the U.S., Tomy – pocket but these were these were big these were let me see Tommy pocket games yeah yeah um again they're like little it's about the size of a cell a smaller cell phone but there were innumerable different variations of games 
many of which were like those rolling ball ma- uh, games, especially one I had called Obstacle Course, <coughs> which is called Steeplechase in other markets. We had to have this little metal ball and go through this like obstacle course. I was always like super fascinated by that because it's sort of like this little world sealed away in its own little place. That's something that always really fascinated me. Yeah, Tomy Pocket Games, yeah. Yeah, so we had these growing up, and they're really fascinating. So this is of that type of, of uh, concept. Anyway, that book, uh, Cube Index, they have a whole section about that, and some really interesting ones listed. Um, the thing is, this Cube Index, I was, trying, I was researching it, and it seems that I would have assumed that there was like a website associated with this book that was already existing, this incredible database of all of these puzzles and stuff. But apparently there was not. Um, it looks like, I think this the book came out like it was a Kickstarter kind of thing back in, uh, or Indiegogo, whatever, back in 2017. And it looks like the and there was a website, but it looks like right after the book came out, the website went down. And just like there was like a Facebook page and Whoever was behind it, like something happened to them right after the book came out. I don't know what the story. I, I actually spent quite a while researching it and found nothing. I found the I found the guy's name that put it all together, but no information. I didn't do the Kickstarter for the book, but luckily I was able to get a copy on the secondary market. It's really a remarkable book. I think that's what got me on the kick of looking for those Wada puzzles, uh, which you can't find any for sale. There's <coughs> these forums, puzzle forums, where people sell them for like huge amounts of money, these WADA puzzles. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's like, it's a, it's a weird underground collecting scene. It's because it's, I don't think there's a huge amount of interest in these things. But anyway, so I found this site. So I, I think because I was looking at this stuff, I found this Japanese puzzle. It was like a little cube, clear plastic cube. And, you know, you have to move the ball around in all directions, kind of like those perplexus things, which I never got one of those perplexuses. Obviously, perplexus is perhaps one of the biggest brands of that type of, of product. And I've, it shows my restraint that I never bought one because I have too much junk as it is. But these things I bought were relatively inexpensive and relatively smaller than a perplexus. And uh, <clears throat> so there was that puzzle. And then also there's a company, I think it's called Inside 3. And they started making like these cool little, <coughs> like little dungeons and stuff where you can roll the ball around. And I almost bought one of them re- uh, in the past, but none of them really appealed to me. But then now they have one called the Barbarian, which is like yellow, and I guess it's sort of like a Middle Eastern city with like a Conan the Barbarian type guy running around the tunnels as a ball. See what I'm saying? So I, it's here now. I mean, we have it. Let's take a look at this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Barbarian. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. Uh, and, ooh, this is bigger than I thought it would be. See, I, I, I did some research on the website. It's hard to find. Like, I, I, It's weird ordering from a website that you don't know if is it real or is it a scam. This one turned out to be real, though. Though the name on the return address is slightly different than the name on the website. But that would be Really packing peanuts. 
styrofoam packing peanuts are great. Packing slip. Yes. It says inside three troglodyte puzzle. The Barbarian. Oh, this must be a new series of the Troglodyte series, and this is the Barbarian. It looks really cool. This, and then this is the Amaze Cube. Okay, it is. It's cool. It's like bigger than I thought. So it is kind of like a. It's kind of like a perplexus. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Amaze cube, amaze cube. I'm just writing these down. And uh, in, inside three, made in France. Inside three, inside three, the barbarian. All right, let's check these out. This is uh, interesting. As I said, I kind of. Uh, have resisted buying such things, but I, I guess I was feeling these were cool, and it's about time. And these, this looks does really look interesting. So how does this work here? Ooh, all right. So this is a uh, a cube. I guess it's about four by four inches, four inches or so. And uh, yeah, there's. There's got to be like a starting point. Yeah, there's the starting point. You get to put the little ball on there and try to get through the various. Uh, let's see if I can get this. Yes, there's the starting point. Let's see. Yeah, it looks like this was imported by a company called Bon Voyage Puzzles or Eureka, but this may just be a generic product that you can buy and then have, you know. Ooh, wow. This is really cool. It reminds me a lot. I mean, obviously, it's like a perplexus is the, is the, is the uh, would be the biggest um, point of reference, but it does remind me of that obstacle course. It's not quite as big as a perplexus, though. This is cool. Yeah. So I, I just I just went. Let me go back to the beginning so I can describe what I'm doing here. I like this. I finally got one of these things after so many years. How do you? Ooh, I don't know if I can get out this way though. Well, you go over, and then there's this, then you're going in it like a, almost like you go to another dimension, and you have to go back over here. And I I I, I screwed up. I got to start over again. <coughs> it's not so easy to get it back to the beginning either. You think you think they'd have like a little hopper or something, but you got to kind of be more precise to get it back to the beginning. All right, here we go. Oh, how many points did I score? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, and now you go up to this little obstacle course area. Oh, you have to you have to hit each number, I guess. What the hell? Number seventeen. You fall down a hole. Where does that go? Where does the hole go? I don't even know where that just went. Oh, there. Oh, look, I'm on the inside of it now. That's so cool. I'm like halfway through. This is kind of cool. I'm at number 31. Okay, now you switch directions again. Oh, I, bl I blew it. I got to about 35. 
<coughs> this is very cool. Why does it feel like it's getting stuck? Oh wait, is there an, is there an easier way to do this? Let's see. No, not really. It would have been so easy for them to make it easier to start, you know? To go back to the beginning when you screw up. Anyway, that is uh, quite nice. I do like it. Though it's bigger than I thought it would be. I don't know if there's any... What does it say on it? Made in China. Shocker. Shocker. Anyway, that's my Amaze Cube. I'm going to try to keep mastering this. But then we have the Barbarian. The Lost City of Tanusul. And there's like a Conan guy with a sword and there's like a, an undead skull at the end of his sword. And you open it up and it's this beautiful... It's, this is my favorite color, which is very similar to the cover of the book. It's that orange ochre, yellow ochre kind of color. One, two, three. So they're saying one is... He is holding a slab of rock and there's a skull made of smoke over him. Part two, he's found some sort of weird, evil crystal ball. And part three, he's slicing the head off a giant snake. This guy really has a lot, a lot going on, right? I mean, but yeah, it's like different, different layers and levels. So I got to try to open this up and see what's going on with this. This thing, is a very cool looking object. Again, n neither of these. I think the entire order was thirty something dollars. So I didn't break the bank on this stuff. Yeah, this Inside 3 stuff, there's a ton of these now. So, I mean, like, a ton of different ones of these. But this color, of course, is my favorite color. Okay. Ooh, wow. It is actually such a cool little object. <clears throat> Ooh. There's that, like, other stuff in here, too. Like a catalog or something? No, no. Yeah, inside three, I guess those little cubes. They they sell those at uh, Barnes and Noble. But how does this actually work? Like, how do you start with this thing? Let's see. <clears throat> but I love the look of it. It's it, it's it's hard to describe, but it's like a yellow orange uh, city. Sort of a Middle Eastern flavored city. Oh, there's the giant snake. Yeah, and I guess you have to go through the city, up and down stairs, but you can only see some of it, right? Inside 3 Legend. www.insidezecube. Inside, let me go to that website. Inside Cube. <coughs> Inside ZE Cube. Hmm. Inside 3, Troglodyte, the Barbarian, the Lost City of Tanakul. I guess that's, let me use that as the description. That, that's the official name of this product. Even though they, they, they space out Inside 3, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so let's see what they say about it here. A new, a labyrinth to explore the mythical city of Tanakul. Three missions, increasing levels that allow all players to have fun. A course that is designed, designer filled with traps until the final confrontation of a giant snake. 
and still in the shape of a mini console. A game made 100% made in France. Accompanied by superb illustrations to dive the player into the fantastic universe of Dungeon and Dragons. <coughs> yeah, they have a bunch of these, right? Inside 3 original. Okay, those are those little cubes I see there. And then the legends. Yeah, the legends, they have the ninja, the skull, the castle, and the crypts. And I guess the barbarian's a new one. And then the legend. Yeah, that's that's the legend. And then the troglodyte. That's the one I just got. These categories are a little confused, but <laughs> then the escape. Okay, yeah, that one is like a little uh, another cube. Hmm. This is interesting stuff, but I got, I don't know how this works though. Like it's the ball seems to be stuck in this little spot. So how do we get it going? It's is the question. Do, do you sort of nudge it over or lift up the top? But it's so cool. It's like this little city under under clear plastic. Ooh, wow. Okay, you can lift it up and you can look inside. That's cool. Let's see. How does this work? Can you take this, the lid off? I don't want to break anything. All right, let's see. So as an object, that's very cool looking. <laughs> Just a very cool little object, this little city un under clear plastic. All right. So you start, and then you have to... Eventually, you fight the snake... <clears throat> so there's three different missions, but how does it say? For each mission, you have to make a round trip. To make it an expert records time, you may have to use the secret passage. But how do you start it? Like, what's the... I can see where it needs to go. It's just sort of... Hmm. Figure this out. All right, well, clearly you just take the lid off. Yeah, I took the lid off. It didn't break it or anything. Uh, but now the ball is lost inside, though. Wait a minute. Where's it going? No. I went up a staircase. Okay, where is it? <coughs> all right, I got the ball in hand, and then, all right, so let's put it there and then put the cover back on. And then we can start playing. It's a very cool object. There's something about this object. It feels like... I can't explain it. It feels like I've seen it before. Hmm. Maybe I have a really old one in my next incarnation and I'm remembering the future. That's crazy talk. It's crazy. Sorry, I'm going down the staircase here. All right, so now... I'm in a courtyard, but there's three there's three possible ways to go. <laughs> this is so cool. Oh, that's a dead end. Okay, how about this one? I like this. This is, this is wild. Is that the secret passageway? I guess you gotta kind of get to know, like, feel your way around. That's really cool. But yeah, there's something about this object. It's just... 
just seems too familiar. This other one is not familiar, but this one is. It's just, yeah. All right, I got to figure this out. That's cool, though. <coughs> well, you can lift up the second layer and kind of examine what's in there. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you, where do you go from here, you know? How do you, now, where is that going? Hmm. feel like Conan. Oh, there you go. I, 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 got in, I got in it somewhere. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And what was her name? Sandal Bergman. Whatever happened to her? She was the co-star of that movie. She wasn't like Red Sonia. She was just her own character, right? Oh, look. I see the ball. Oh, cool. I'm in like a maze. <laughs> Where do we go from here? That looks like it's... Ooh, there's like a secret passageway. <laughs> so cool. I have to get to the snake, though. Anyway, I gotta keep fiddling with this. This is a very cool little object. The barbarian. I I can swear that um, one of my old tapes. I, I, I we were sitting around watching uh, Siskel and Ebert review Conan the Barbarian, and it's online. So I'll, we'll see if we can find that. Sandal Bergman. It's a shame that we're not having, not being able to see it, I think, in its original version. You're right. Conan the Barbarian is the first of the summer's big new action pictures, a comic book style fantasy, sword fights, with bodybuilder Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the title role of Barbarian, angry at the world in general, and James Earl Jones. In He's angry like McKinley. Bad guy in a lot of films. <laughs> He killed Conan's mother. In an effort to get back at Jones, Conan is joined by an oriental martial arts expert and by a woman, a very strong, beautiful woman named Valeria, played by Broadway dancer Sandal Bergman. Here, the two men meet her for the first time. You're not a guard. Neither are you. <laughs> Neither are you. Make yourself. Come to climb the tower. You don't even have a rope. <laughs> Two fools who laugh at death. Do you know what horrors lie beyond that wall? No. Then you go first. Eventually, Conan the Barbarian and Valeria, the woman warrior, his Never equal in spirit, fall in love. All my life, I've been alone. Many times I face my death with no one to know. I would look into the huts and the tents of others in the coldest dark, and I would see figures holding each other in the night. always pass by. You and I, we have warmth. That's so hard to find in this world. Please, let someone else pass by in the night. Let us take the world by the throat and make it give us what we desire. From humor to a little passion, this film has a lot, I think. Later in the film, all three join forces, and wearing war paint, 
they raid James Earl Jones's castle where, what else? An orgy is going on. I think on the tape of us as kids, we like snickered when we heard about the orgy thing. <laughs> Soup or something? You're feeding people soup? It's just amazing watching this show back then, 82. Because there was no internet or anything, so if you wanted to find out about the movies, you had to watch Cisco and Ebert. clip on this show. You. <clears throat> it's a cool getup that uh, Conan has all the body paint. And Sandal has the same body paint. I think it's like camouflage. But what are they going to say? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this movie? music sort of softens the appeal of what's going on. However, the appeal of this traditional revenge picture is that it has a good sense of humor, in addition to all of the traditional elements of sword fights, stampeding horses, <laughs> strong, beautiful men and women fighting for good to triumph over evil. Conan the Barbarian certainly may be predictable, very few surprises, but its funny moments, I think, keep it all fresh. It's lighthearted, enjoyable, and a pretty good summer movie. Now, on this one, I see the sense of humor. I did not think The Sword okay. and the Sorcerer gave me too much to laugh about. But also in this one, what Conan does that made me like the film and recommend it is it puts Conan and Valeria into the foreground and also the James Earl Jones character. Right. They become people to a, more, to a greater degree anyway than in other films like this. They are, I, I would still like a little more complexity in their development, but we can, we can identify with them. We get to know them a little bit. We think we know how they'll respond to a situation. They are not simply cardboard robots moving from one elaborate right. set to the next one. I think that's true. You know, uh, we talked once before about what makes good acting, and uh, we quoted uh, George C. Scott, who talked about mm -hmm. the joy of performing quality yeah. uh, uh -huh. that an actor can... You know, you know that thing I play on the other side sometimes? It's like only a few seconds long. George C. Scott in the Flim Flam Man, tomorrow at 3.30. <laughs> ...show how they silently can give off the mm -hmm. fact that they know this is fun and they're performing for you. I think Schwarzenegger does this. I think he's aware that his accent sounds totally out of place, even though he's some foreign-born... But this movie guy. takes place before American accent. Apparently. <laughs> and I think that also the woman character, Sandal Bergman, yeah. also senses that she's sort of more than just a good friend. She's going to fight there, too. And it's, I think it has a lot of fun to it in you the know, performance. You know, you've made me think of something that I didn't really realize I was thinking of while I was watching the film. 
And that is one of the things I reacted to was the good health and good spirits of Sandal Bergman and Arnold Schwarzenegger. They are so alive in this film that they bring energy to scenes that otherwise might have been totally routine. Well, it's Sparky the Wonder Dog, of course, reminding us time to move on to the Dogs of the Week. The Dogs of the Week. Well, my dog this week is called Beach Girl, and it's about three... Yes. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's uh, the Siskel and Ebert, Ebert rabbit hole on videos, yes. Easy to get sucked in and watch this show. It was such a great show. Um, so they gave it th- thumbs up. Yeah, Sandal Bergman on Wikipedia, they don't... They, she's a mystery woman. They don't even have the year she was born. Um... Yeah, they don't really have much about her. I mean, she was in a, f- a few movies. She's mostly like a dancer. Um, let's see, Conan the Barbarian, 82. <coughs> she was in Airplane 2, the sequel. Um, what else did I... Re- she was in Red Sonja, right? But she played a different character in Red Sonja? Because that's Conan adjacent, kind of. Uh, <coughs> the rest of the movies are kind of, yeah... Tech War, Tech Justice. She played Valkyrie. Wasn't that... Was Tech War... Was that, like, William Shatner's, like, attempt to do, like, a, his own TV show? Hmm. Yeah, the rest of the movies are nothing I heard of. On television, she was in an episode of Heart to Heart. Moonlighting. Cheers. Designing Women. Swamp Thing. Murder, she wrote. Silk Stockings. And she, her last appearance on TV was in Sliders as as the f- lead female dancer. That's interesting that Sliders is there because I I have uh, another one of these uh, TV shows that I I can't find. I know I watched it and I can't find it. And it's about another dimension, like Sliders was. <coughs> and her last movie role was in 2003 in The Singing Detective. She played a dancer. Hmm. Bergman has since retired from acting, but still makes the occasional appearance at sci-fi conventions. Interesting. Well, who knows? Whatever happened to her? I don't know. She was she was big in Conan. How am I doing in here? I think I lost it. Where's, where's my barbarian? There's like a little hatchway. This is the part we had to... Oh, I see it, but I... Oh, cool. It's, it's in like a secret passage right here. You can feel it, but you can't see it. Oh, there it is. Okay. So from here... Do we go this way? Interesting. That's cool. It's, it's behind the uh, the windows of, of the courtyard. I don't, I don't know... Yeah, 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 this way, yeah. <laughs> I'll figure it out of it. Anyway, the uh, mystery alternate reality TV show. I I remember something similar. It was a, a show called Flatland, and uh, Dennis Hopper was on at least the pilot episode. And that was on this, like, super obscure, like, streaming channel that... Remember recently, I forgot what it was called, then I remembered, and then I forgot again. <laughs> so, uh, but this was not that. But this was a different TV show that was about... So It feels like it was like a show from like maybe 2005, maybe made in like the Netherlands or something, or Australia. And um, 
at the start of the show, it was like this government agency, there were these tunnels and they were somehow making contact with an, like an, a parallel earth. And I think they, they sent like a grapefruit or an orange through the portal, like to test it. But I, it, I've been searching. There's even a Wikipedia page for fiction that employs alternate realities and as part of its setup. And I could find nothing. What the hell was that show? But yeah, it felt low budget, maybe early 2000s. Uh, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. And I think I only watched like the first 10 minutes of it. And then I'm like, oh, I'll watch this again sometime. And then I just, I can't even remember what it was called. Weird. <laughs> it happens. Listen, there's so much stuff out there. I must, did I, I don't even know if I talked about it on the show. I really don't know. It was just one of those things where I watched it briefly, like, oh, maybe I'll come back to this at some point. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe it was not Flatland, right? Maybe it was. Maybe I should revisit Flatland to see if it could have been that. Because I started watching it and I, yeah. Maybe it was Flatland. All right, let me do that. All right. I paused there. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to put it on a subreddit, tip of my tongue. I said, it's a TV show, scientists contacting an alternate reality via a tunnel. This is what I wrote here. I remember seeing the beginning of this show a few years ago on a streaming service. It was low budget and looked like it was made in Europe or Australia. Likely 2000 to 2010 era started with scientists doing an experiment at a tunnel where scientists on the other world were also working. They sent something like a grapefruit or an orange through the tunnel to test if it was safe. I had meant to continue watching it, but I forgot the name and can't find it anywhere. All right, I'm going to post that. Pending. I guess the admins have to make sure it's a legitimate post. And it's funny because I, I saw someone else was looking for an alternate reality TV show um, on this site three years ago. It wasn't the same show, though. Um, a girl who travels to an alternate universe through a bridge on her motorcycle. <laughs> it turns out it was a series called Nosferatu, N-O-S-482, uh, from AMC from 2019 to 2020. It definitely was not the show I saw. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, me, well, at least me and this other person, looking for alternate reality TV shows that we can't remember the name of. At least there's a place online to try to find out about this. I hope they approve it. I hope they approve my, uh, they approve my post so I can, maybe someone will help me out with this. I know people are going to say um, Counterpart, which is absolutely not. Yeah. Counterpart was a good show, though. That was a... I really did. I, I find myself thinking about that show quite a bit. Um, it had that guy in it. What the hell was... Yeah, Counterpart TV series, 2017 to 2019. That was such a great show. It, was, it took place in Berlin, and there was a tunnel. So these scientists were experimenting, and they sort of created this bridge... But it was exactly, it was like the, it, they created two copies of the same exact world. But um, one of the, but the difference was one person had 
a Walkman, the other one didn't, and it created this huge divergence between the two worlds. Remember that show? And that guy, J.K. Simmons, you won't know the name, but you know what he looks like. He's, he's in everything. It was so good. It was on Stars. It was so good because the other him, like he's mild-mannered in the one reality, then he's like a super spy in the other reality. It was a good show. I do find myself thinking about that show. Looks like they had 20 episodes. Well, God only knows where you can watch it now, but anyway. Oh, wait, here's an article. The best alternate reality TV shows. Loki. Nah. No, no. Russian Doll. I have to get back to that. I saw the first season of that. Twilight Zone, Stranger Things, Rick and Morty, Sliders, Star Trek, Black Mirror, Fringe. No, I, man, I've seen all, most of these shows. Counterpart. Yeah, the one I'm looking for is much, much, much more obscure. Who knows? Maybe someone will be able to help me. This is a tough one. Anyway, in other news, I think I fixed my laptop. I have an older, I think it's a, I do think it's like a 2016 model laptop, which is ancient. Or maybe it was 2019. Anyway, I, I have the Asus um, ROG, you know, Republic of Gamers, a gaming laptop, which I use as my, it's like a desktop replacement. And it's a great computer, but it's starting to fail, like, um, because it's getting real old. Like it has, it had this like super loud fan noise, but I found, and in the past I had to literally like shut the thing down (coughs) and then reboot it to get rid of the noise. But then I found out a way to manually turn off that fan noise. Um, Then recently it started just to freeze. Not And usually when a program freezes, you can hit control, alt, delete and go into task manager and force quit it. But these freezes, they completely froze the entire system. You couldn't do anything. So I, you had to turn it off by holding the button down. So I updated the GPU firmware or the drivers, and that seemed to have worked. It was just like a bad driver or something on the uh, the NVIDIA uh, video card. And yeah, I mean, like a lot of games... <laughs> They'll work fine, and then all of a sudden start stuttering. And I know there's different issues with that. And some games just don't, don't ever work properly. It's just not strong a strong enough computer. So I know I have to get a new one soon, but I'm just trying to hold off. I mean, the longer I hold off, the better the new computer I'll get will be, right? Because they keep making better ones. I don't know. I'm going to definitely get, get another ASUS, but it's, like, so annoying. If you look at ASUS, you know, it's A-S-U-S. They originally were going to call it Pegasus as a computer company, but then they figured they'd be so far down alphabetically, they just took the peg off, and Asus is right there after Acer. And yeah. <coughs> Anyway, I don't know how important that is. People used to do that in the phone book. They'll like, uh, you know, like uh, quadruple A auto repair, just so they'd be listed first in the uh, phone book. Things aren't really quite like that anymore, per se. Uh, yeah. But anyway, one thing that, like, the computer every couple years is giving me this message, it's time to clean the fans. I'm looking, I I really have no idea how to clean these fans, what's going on with this. And uh, so I kind of just let it go. And uh, recently, like, my computer just, I was playing a game and then just started stuttering and then the whole thing just froze. And then the computer just turned itself off. 
And I know enough to know that that's probably it just completely overheated. So I turned it back on and I saw that my CPU and GPU were both um, running at over 90 degrees uh, Celsius, which is insane. So I'm thinking to myself, so I got one of, I found a canned air, you know, the little can where you can blow the air, but then it gets like super cold. I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> like you blow air out of this can and then the exterior of the can starts freezing like sub-zero temperatures. Uh, luckily I didn't get frostbite. Um, so I started blowing air into the openings and I'm like, this isn't doing anything. So I'm like, all right, let me just bite the bullet and open up the back of the, the bottom of the computer. And I got a screwdriver. I took all the screws out and lifted it up knowing that I'm kind of a klutz and might wreck the whole thing, but somehow I did all right. And the two fans were just gunked up with cat hair and dust and everything. So I blew them out as good as I could and uh, put it all back together. And it seems to be working fine now. Listen, I know I just got to get a new one. I'm just dragging my feet on it. Because what I was going to say is that the um, these Asus uh, <coughs> gaming laptops, <coughs> of which there's several different, there's, there's the ROG, then there's the uh, to tough. And it's like they range in price from like $600 to like, $10,000. And it's like every different retailer has slightly different configurations and it's just so confusing. So I just need to figure out where I'm going to land in terms of, um, you know, what, I guess what my budget is, right? I really don't want to spend $10,000, but I, I know I don't want the one that costs $600 either because it's going to be a piece of crap. You know what I'm saying? I'm playing with my, my little uh, toy here. This is the other one, the cube. Am I going to actually do it this time? I'm doing better, I think, than I did last time. I think this is where I failed last time. you got to be really careful. But anyway, I felt very proud of myself that I opened it up without wrecking it and s somewhat fixed it. All right, here we go. 39. This is the best I've done so far on the, uh, what is this one called? The Amaze Cube. Whoa, where's it going now? <laughs> Can't even see where it, oh, there it is. Is that okay? Like, where did it go? Fifty-five. I don't know what's going on with these puzzles, man. So, as you may have seen, the title of today's episode is "From the Office of D. Fleepleface Space Lord." You may be wondering what is this all about, and this cat picture and everything else. Well, trying to retrace my steps. How did it start? So, I was over here. Yeah, it was within the past few days. I was over here in the kitchen. Ooh, what's this song? <laughs> oh, this is a great uh, Thomas Dolby song. Strange how the scale, how the scale forms in tiny patterns. This is the song. Whoa! I almost dropped something. Alexa, pause. A song called Airwaves from that utterly remarkable first album by Thomas Dolby. Anyway, I was here, 
and I was walking into the dining room, and this memory f- flashed into my mind, defleeple-flape. I'm like, what, what, yeah, what was defleeple-flape? And I'm like, what the heck was that? And I'm like, I know it was something I made up in the past, but defleeple-flape. So I started looking it up. I could have sworn it was a character I made for my failed science fiction novel, Severe Repair. But I've, I usually go on franknora.com where I have all my old e-zines on there, deeply buried. <laughs> um, and I could find nothing. Fleeple-flape. Uh, so I was looking for fleeple or... Uh, finally... I found it because I did talk about it on the show. I talked about it on the Overnightscape back in 2003. So let me play you that, that section. Let's see if we can find it here. Uh, and then we'll go backwards. Cause, so that's where I found it. I searched the Internet for defleeple whatever, and it came up. This was on uh, the Overnightscape number 31 way back in the beginning on uh, October 9th, 2003. And I talked about Space Lord D. Fleepleflace. So it wasn't Fleepleflape, Fleepleflace. And that's always been the pronunciation. It's not Fleepleflaze, it's Fleepleflace. Um, so yeah, it's at 1805. Let's listen to that and then uh, we'll delve a little bit deeper. And What is going on with D. Fleepleflace? I feel like I... In this show art, which I love, the show art, I've I manifested this vision, this hypnopompic vision, but we'll get to that. Well, what the heck is that noise? So anyway, uh, the other day I was in the, the hypnopompic state and uh, <laughs> had an interesting uh, vision. Now, I've probably talked about this before on the Overnightscape, but there is a state as you wake up between sleeping and waking, which is called the the hypnopompic state. And I have experienced something m- many times, hundreds of times, during this state, which is very bizarre and which I've read about only in the science fiction novel. And I don't know if anyone else out there has had this occurrence, but as I'm waking up and I reach this hypnopompic state, which really only lasts for a few seconds, my mind has sort of been barraged by a sort of burst of information. And it's usually... Um, I'm seeing pages, printed pages of information or seeing things, but I get words, phrases, pictures sort of burned onto the surface of my mind. And then once I wake up, I recall it, and I, I, I'll only recall it for, you know, a few, you know, maybe 10, 15 seconds. And a lot of times what I do is I, I'll write it down, and I've gotten many, many bizarre phrases and, and things in that state, and... Uh, it's a very strange thing. I've only read about it in a... I think it was a book by Philip K. Dick, who's a science fiction author. I'm not sure. I think it may have been a book called Vallis, or one of those books related to that book. And talking about the, the whole theory of... Uh, anyway, let's just... So, 20... More than 20 years later, I still don't know to what extent people see... Uh, <clears throat> I know that people talk about... They call, talk about hypnopopic hallucinations, but... Specifically, seeing documents and and words and phrases, I don't know. I, I, I still don't know if anyone else has this phenomenon. I still get it from time to time. The uh, hypnopompic phenomenon. This sort of information being sort of zapped into your mind, 
as you're waking up. Very strange. Who knows where this stuff is coming from? Um, but I've gotten very interesting phrases and ideas, and I've actually incorporated into some of my my written work, poetry, and six science fiction and stuff I've written. I've incorporated some of these ideas. But the one I got this morning was, or it was the other morning, was very interesting because it was sort of based on stuff I had written in the past. And uh, what it was was I got I got this picture of a of a <laughs> of a cat person like wearing like armor and uh <laughs> this was a picture that i had drawn i probably drew it about 20 years ago of this character I, I created called cat x and he was sort of like this weird kind of space warrior kind of guy so i saw this picture in my mind and then i got the entire phrase from the office of d Fleepleface, space lord right <laughs> now Believe it or not, D. Fleepleface is a little is, is a is a name that I use in some of them. I have this strange poetry. Um, I'm actually working on a book collecting it. It's, it's called uh, Dusk Away Parking. It's the name of my book, Dusk Away Parking, and it's all these weird little poems that I've written over the past like 15 years. And D. Fleepleface is just a, a silly little nonsense name, a little name of something. But in my mind, it was from the office of D. Fleepleface, comma Space Lord, and it was a picture of this cat. Just very, very, very uh, strange, you know? That is sort of <clears throat> just weird stuff floating around in my mind, sort of coming to me in that hypnopompic state. Very bizarre. So D. Fleepleface, I have discovered, is a space lord. <laughs> yes. I think I have some more to say about that. Me from 20-some-odd years ago. mad player go and listen to that sounds so rich and full the old days of the show so I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the D stands for in D Fleepleface because it's more like it is like D period so it's like a, an initial <laughs> like, like I made all this stuff up and I'm still wondering like what, what does it stand for it's really strange I guess well I guess if I created it I can sort of make up what the name would be <laughs> so, you know, last week I went into New York City for a little... So I think that was all I had to say about that. Now, this is interesting because the source of poem, it was D without a, a period after it. So the original name is D. Fleepleface. So D, the capital letter D is <laughs> the full name. I suppose the vision, it was D period. But on this in this case, I decided to keep it with the original sense of defleepleface. Anyway, go back to uh, where did this come from? So this, uh, let me see if I can go to this work, which eventually became known as ThinkFang. If you go to thinkfang.com, the entire website is just houses this one PDF file, uh, which collects my poems, which generally is not great. <laughs> There's good pieces, there's good parts to it, but it's kind of embarrassing, the whole thing. That I don't know what I'm trying to I'm trying to say it was a part of my life, and I wrote these poems, and I had no filter, and some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are ultra cringe. Anyway, this is uh, published, uh, it says, uh, first edition was published in 2003 and was called Duskaway Parking. The second edition is being published on August 12, 2009, and it was renamed Think Fang. 
And the latest name of this thing from many years ago was Weichok Revival. But anyway, um, in this case, there were five phases. of The first phase was Superior, Phase 2, Parking, Phase 3, Duskaway, Phase 4, Hurricaner, and Phase 5, Think Fang. And then there is a Phase 6, which is uh, Weichok Revival, or just Weichok. Um, anyway, so... After the superior phase, and so this was this poem was the very beginning of the duskaway phase. So it's on page two hundred eight. Let's see in this document here. <clears throat> and I still feel like I still need to finish Wychok because there's a certain number that I said related to number two hundred nine that was going to be like the fun, the final one. Anyway. Parking, yeah. So the one before it was Parking 122 from April 22nd, 1999. And this is one reads, A great rainbow a few days ago and rare lighting meadowlands. Seen from bus, books are cool. Let us do something. Get into something invigorating. Tap, tap, tap. Let's not have only the first few taps be cool. Adaptation can be crippling, whatever that means. And then it is a few months later, I started Dusk Away with Dusk Away 1 on uh, uh, July 18th, 1999. And here is that poem. Steel Glagla Piratent, droning of so many other people. Flyer Sting, Tissue Paper in the shoe stores and those who don't ever take ferries. Guy who bugs, he got defleepleflace. Fired up again, imagining patterns and tiles on restroom floor. I like the one after this though, Duskaway 2. The solo bright cloco, weeds junky water fount, a million garbage, tea jazz tangent, pretty one. It just sort of feels like if I had just had another layer of Selection, editing, and discretion. This could have been something great. Anyway, let's go back to this one. So, the, so guy who bugs, he got defleepleflace. So this stuff is all like I make up all these words like steel gla gla piratent. Like gla gla is nonsense. Piratent is nonsense. Uh, the tissue paper in the shoe stores, <laughs> right? You know, like when you try on shoes, like you, they open the shoe box and it's like tissue paper in there. So, yeah. And those who don't ever take ferries, like I guess people never take ferry boats. What's that all about? Listen, this was back in the 90s I wrote this. What do you want to say? The guy who bugs, he got defleepleflace. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I ever knew what it meant. <laughs> oh, here's a, there's some good ones here though. Here's number four. Wear seldom shades, pole ice shatterer called the pole stoat. The fake weathered look, dilt passerhound, the weak all, one building block, spun savina liver okay. Urgh. Anyway, that's the origin of defleepleflace. Anyway, it's weird that it showed up in 2003 in a hypnopompic hallucination and then it just popped into my head as fleeple flape 
what about this picture though? So I, uh, I knew the exact picture I was talking about that I saw in the vision of the cat wearing armor, which you can see on the show art here. So I knew it was Cat X, and I did have a little mini-comic I did in the 80s, K-A-T space X. Cat X was this character I created. And there was even some weird implication that, like, I think I was in the car... We were driving, I think we were driving down to Disney World in Florida, and I was drawing comics. And there was some implication that the, char- the character could see me in the car creating him. I think I mentioned that in somewhere about that. Of course, it is authors of a, sor- a certain style will always have the, like, have put themselves in the story or have the characters become aware that they're being written by someone and. Yeah. It could be overdone, that whole concept, but it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, so I went out to the garage where I have my old archive of... Uh, and I do intend this year to... All my old mini-comics, I want to like scan them in or talk about them more. Um, so I have... In the box, I have like a reference of all the issues of the comics I did. So I looked at the Cat X and the uh, mini-comic, and there was no... That picture wasn't there. So as I was looking through things, I saw Frank's Comics, uh, number five, from February 1988. Using that font I used recently, the stack font, it's like the first book of Moses called Frank's Comics. It's F-R-A-N-X-C-O-M-I-X. And, uh... (laughs) Whoa. What happened there? Anyway... Um, that picture is right on the cover of that, the exact picture I was thinking of. And then there's a Half Evil Graphics logo that was done by this guy, uh, Mike Cavallaro, I believe, who I think went on to some degree of... Yeah, there he is. Yeah, he has a Wikipedia page and everything. I think he did that one. (coughs) Mike Cavallaro. Yeah. He is the author of semi-autobiographical Parade with Fireworks. Hmm. I think he did that that logo for me. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the picture. So I, I just took a picture with my phone of it and did a little processing in Photoshop. And that's what you see there. And then I I wanted to choose a font that would be appropriate for this and did eventually choose a letter set bottleneck. The first one I tried was Bruce Makita, which is another font from back then, but did not look good. Um, but this looked perfect. Bottleneck looked perfect. And I also used this font, I think, on a, a mini-comic called Zope's Big Atomic Party. Yeah. Anyway. Um, from the office of D. Fleepleflay Space Lord. So the way this turned out, I love it, love, love it. I put that black border on again. I did recently. So... There's the picture of Cat X. Well, actually, it's D. Fleeple place, I guess. <coughs> and the Onsig Radio logo to the left, and the Overnightscape types it in the same font to the right. Love this show art. This is, like, amazing. And that's sort of like, I drew that, you know, and I, I don't have a natural ability to draw things, like, well, but I was able to draw that, you know. But I don't really draw too much anymore. 
it's not a natural talent. Uh, but I thought, yeah, it's an interesting image. And uh, so I actually rendered the hypnopompic hallucination from 2003 here in 2024. So, on a different topic, uh, Fruit Stripe Gum has been discontinued, apparently. And it's funny because I, sw- I could swear I mentioned it on the show last episode or the episode before. Fruit Stripe Gum. And as kids in the 70s, we would always get Fruit Stripe Gum. Somehow it was a favorite of us kids, even though it had an amazing flavor. It was in the sticks of chewing gum. You would start chewing it. It would be this amazing fruit flavor, but then it would it would run out of flavor in like a few seconds, and you were just stuck chewing this flavorless mass of gum. Uh, but we loved it anyway, and you could always get another another piece. Uh, let's see what they say here on USA Today. I also found another article about it. Apparently, this news is just coming out. <coughs> the iconic. Brightly colored fruit stripe gum is being discontinued after more than 50 years. Food and Wine magazine reported that the gum's manufacturer, Ferrara Candy, Ferrara Candy, wasn't it, didn't it used to be called Ferrara Pan? Remember it used to be called Ferrara Pan? They took the pan out. Uh, announced this week that it will discontinue the gum. Uh, they did not respond to requests for comment in a statement Told Food and Wine magazine, we have made the difficult decision to sunset fruit stripe gum. <laughs> They're sunsetting it. <coughs> the company added that they did not take the decision lightly and considered many factors factors before coming to this decision, including consumer preferences and purchasing patterns. Oh, I know what I was. I know, yeah, because I was talking about um, the uh, chiclets, mini sized chiclets. Remember that? Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, that's why I talked about it. According to CNN, Fruit Stripe Gum has been around since the 1960s and came in five flavors. I don't know about the flavors. I, mean, I thought there was just one. F- I think it was it one of the things where it had different colors, but they were all the same flavor. Wet and Wild Melon, Cherry, Lemon, Orange, and Peach. The brand's mascot was Yipes the Zebra, and each pack came with a temporary tattoo of Yipes. So this is weird because I never knew that the character's name was Yipes, and the random picture of a package I found did have temporary tattoos. I don't recall anything about the temporary tattoos or the zebra being named Yipes, though it's a zebra with colorful stripes who was the mascot. Yipes, I never knew the name of Yipes. Um, Forever told CNN that fans of the product may still be able to find it at some select retailers nationwide before it sells out. (coughs) Yeah. Let me find that other article. I think that had more information, more, yeah, from uh, the takeout. Farewell to a titan of the chewing gum market. No one's mentioning how how briefly the flavor lasted. Hmm. If you never slapped a spit-moistened chewing gum wrapper on your arm waiting for a temporary tattoo to take from there, did you even experience childhood? See, I'm thinking they probably added the tattoos after after probably more like in the 80s or 90s because I was probably not having too much fruit stripe at that point. I was I was a little too old. Um, for many of us, fruit stripe gum was a fixture of our youth. The brand whose bright colors, zebra mascot, wrappers printed with temporary tattoos, an unfulfilled promise of five fruity flavors kept us coming back again and again, even though n- none of us really loved the taste of the stuff. Hmm. And then they talk about how 
<laughs> discontinued. Maybe if we all stopped joking about the gum, the gum's instant loss of flavor, it would still be here, alas. <coughs> of course, so they did mention it. Fruit Stripe was introduced in the 1960s by the Beech Nut Company, which now primarily produces baby and toddler food. The gum came in five flavors. I don't ever remember about wet and wild melon. That sounds more 90s than 70s. Uh, featured zebra stripes printed right on each stick. That was true. The Ferrara website describes the product as brightly flavored gum that's forever fruity, which is pretty much the opposite of what most people say. Yeah, forever fruity if forever is two seconds. Um, <coughs> so I guess they're still in stores, but there will be no more made. Um, it's also worth noting that Ferrara is the maker of several other beloved and nostalgic candy brands, none of which are in any apparent danger of going away. These include Fun Dip, otherwise known as Lickamade, right? That's that was good, very good candy. Gobstopper, Juji Fruits, Fireball, Pixie Sticks, Chuckles, Runts, Spree, Boston Baked Beans, and Bottle Caps. Bottle Caps were a key candy back in the seventies. I got to say, um, the company also owns the Nerds brand, which as was recently reported, is doing ridiculously well in recent years. Apparently the same could not be said for old Fruit Stripe. It is the end of an era. But weren't they... <clears throat> the statement comes after a Reddit thread gained traction last week in which a Fruit Stripe fan notes their own difficulty procuring it. <clears throat> What's this Reddit thread? Oh, by the way, my, uh, my post about the alternate reality movie was removed because I didn't know... I had to comment on my own post within the first 60 minutes. So I reposted it, and now it's on there. So hopefully it'll get some traction. <coughs> wow, yeah. Let me see. Let me see if there's been any uh, anyone's reacting to my post here. I don't think anyone. Uh, 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 no, no. Uh, yeah, no one, no one has responded to my post, even though 228 people have viewed it. Wow. Yeah, this is a tough one, this alternate reality show. I, I mean, <clears throat> someone out there has got to know it, damn it, don't you think? I do. So uh, that's it, Fruit Stripe. Let, let me just look at I know that they were, they were, you could even buy, like, do, do, <coughs> dolls of the little zebra. <coughs> Excuse me. Fruit Stripe gum. So uh, I'm, let me see what's going on here. A fruit stripe mug, fruit stripe gum mug, earrings. <laughs> wow, all sorts of fun stuff. A hundred dollars for for a pack of gum. Well, you get a bunch of pieces. Here's someone listing one pack of gum for forty dollars. Of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. Every uh, now everyone's gonna get you know like go scour every store, buy whatever's left, and sell it on eBay. Rare vintage beech nut fruit stripe gum bendy police toy figure. The hell? Was there this weird, like, gumby like policeman made of fruit stripe gum? Was that a character? Hmm. No. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's creepy as hell. The fruit stripe cop. Yikes, that is $250. Get out of here crap <coughs> why are they putting juicy fruit that's a totally different thing 
it has nothing to do with fruit stripe gum. It's, I mean, it's a fruit flavored gum that doesn't really taste like any fruit I've ever heard of, but you know. Yikes the zebra. Isn't it yipes, not yikes? <coughs> Ooh, a puzzle with gum wrappers. That looks good. <clears throat> a pet costume for your dog to become a fruit stripe dog. Great costume. Great. <coughs> yeah, if everyone's over 50 years old, they might recognize it. Yeah. This is fruit stripe. Fruit stripe animals. Now, wait a minute. <coughs> fruit stripe bubblegum t shirt. Yeah, there's always, there's always like uh, obscure. What is this? Car coasters? Two neoprene. Oh. Oh, you know, in your in your car, you have the, the, the cup holders where you could put a neoprene fruit stripe logo if you're a big fan. <clears throat> a fruit stripe semi-truck mural? <clears throat> here's, here's a little meme sticker. This is how long my tolerance for people lasts, and they show Yipes the zebra. Yes, that flavor didn't last too long. Hmm. Another ceramic mug. I thought there were little figurines of, of the fruit stripe guy. <sighs> Let's see. Yipes. <coughs> yeah, like a like, yeah, a little bendy figurine. Yeah. So there's the images of the uh <clears throat> the tattoos. I don't remember the ta the tattoos, as I said, the tattoo thing must have come later. Well, you know, as these things go, you know, what do you want these companies to do? Obviously, people aren't buying it in the same numbers they used to. Oh, here's someone with a, a fruit striped uh, tattoo. I don't think it's the right color scheme, though. It's only the, the, it only has uh, red and blue stripes. Imagine getting a tattoo and get the colors wrong. Yeah. Wait, what am I looking at here? Hold on a second. Yeah, look at this. Now you can have your own tiger, elephant, horse, or mouse for $1.50. I'm orange stripes the mouse. I'm lemon stripes the elephant. I'm cherry stripes the horse. I'm lime stripes the tiger. Hmm. 1965. <clears throat> I guess they, they were having... These were going to be the original mascots, maybe? Because Cherry Stripes a Horse looks a lot like Yipes. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been before that. You know, all these companies, they, they don't have, like, clear history of these things, you know? Here's the gum wrapper's puzzle. Fruit Stripe, Bazooka, Beemons, Blackjack. Do they have T-Berry? Remember in Twin Peaks, that gum you like is going to come back in... Style. Chicklets. They have chicklets in there. Bazooka. Gold tip gum. I, I'm not familiar with that one. Big League Chew, of course. M Mazuma gum. Play money in each package. That's a bit of a synchronicity. Yeah. Hmm. No. No. 
I'm trying to find like the bazooka gum that came in these big blocks that were like super hard and you had to like I remember getting it back in the 70s <coughs> what are these miniature cassettes PK no they must just look like cassettes anyway old chewing gums yes yes but here's that the, the uh, wow a lot of people are getting fruit stripe it's all all the tattoos are of yipes riding a a skateboard and a lot of, it looks like a lot of people have uh and then there's like there's fruit stripe uh, yipes doing a mosh pit but like actual tattoos not just temporary tattoos i guess cuz these were kids probably in the 90s that yes okay they <clears throat> they used the temporary tattoos and they decided when they're when they started getting into tattoos that they would get a real tattoo of yipes but how do they feel now that it's been discontinued and the their tattoo will continue on forever. It kind of, yeah, it reminds me because I was researching another thing. Um, and, and this is something that I think relates to the whole issue of hipsters and the hipster culture, which was um, something you would hear about all the time and has now vanished. And it's, so it's kind of fascinating to try to piece together what was going on with these these uh, people that consider themselves hipsters. And one thing I remember was that uh, people would uh, get a tattoo of a mustache on their index finger so they could put their index finger up against their, their upper lip and then it would look like they had a mustache. And so many people back then got these mustache finger tattoos. And I found tons of articles about people that regret it because – they're stuck with this stupid mustache on their finger for the rest of their life. I guess you can get it removed, but that sounds like it would sting on your finger like that. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, and it was some people were, were saying like 2003, 2005. One person said 2010, but that was kind of maybe that time period between 2000 and 2010 was like that time period where the hipster vibe was strong. And there was something about mustaches that was big with the hipsters, everything like the old style curly mustaches like people got a kick out of it like that people like guys would have those kind of mustaches in the past <clears throat> and then a lot of hipster men did get those sport those uh twisty mustaches i actually worked with this guy jeff that had had a twisty mustache like that um i don't know if he was a hipster though he was a bit older i don't think he was a hipster he was just a just a cool weirdo kind of guy. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? <coughs> I was friends with him, and then he just sort of vanished. He's a weird guy. He would have been good here on the channel. Let me look him up. Because <coughs> I, I remember his last name. Yeah, um, yeah, there he is. I, there's a picture of him. Wow. With a mustache, even. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> oh, just... LinkedIn. That's no fun. Let's see. He wrote an article in 2015. Who even know, who knows what happened to these people? But anyway, so people were that, that was one of the hipster things, like being obsessed with mustaches. So all these people, I, I'm trying to see like the articles I, I linked to. Yeah, here's one. I lived it. I got a mustache finger tattoo in 2010, and now. I have a mustache finger tattoo. <laughs> God. This is from Reductress.com. 
We were all young once, carefree, limitless, and stupid. The world seemed bright, and we made choices without worrying whether we'd regret them. So yeah, in 2010, I made the quirky choice to get a mustache finger tattoo. And now I'm bearing the consequences of my actions, still having a mustache finger tattoo. When I got a mustache finger tattoo at the peak of the ironic hipster era in 2010, the thought that I would now, 12 years later, still have that mustache finger tattoo didn't even cross my mind. When you put your finger to your lip, it makes it look like you have a mustache, my friend said. This will be funny forever. How naive we were. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently the consensus is the hipster era started to collapse around 2017. Um, which <clears throat> kind of makes sense because I know that it was – I know I've, I've gone down this road. I've read a lot about it that um, it was uh, – hipsters were – like like uh, white and very privileged type of people. And then that demographic started to be looked down on by the, the cool kids. Something like that. Like, something in that universe of ideas. Um, which is why they, they started to be less popular, I guess. So there's <coughs> another article from Vice. Didn't Vice go out of business? I thought they went out of business. This is an article from 2020. The finger stash ruled the, the zero zeros, but many still have to live with it. <laughs> These poor people. <laughs> These finger mustaches, tattoos. The 90s had barbed wire armbands and lower back tribal designs, but the pseudo-ironic finger mustache was the most iconic ink of the aughts. So people are still trying to name that decade between 2000 and 2010. <coughs> the aughts of the noughties. Most of the trends of the aughts have come and gone pretty uneventfully like the fashion mullet, trucker hats, and Paris Hilton as an aspirational figure. But there's one... Oh, and I remember. This is so, that's kind of a synchronicity. I remember that guy, Jeff. He hated Paris Hilton. He would rant against her so much. And, he, and I, would, I would argue for her. So he's like, why is she... She's just famous for being famous. She, she sucks. She has nothing to say. And I'm like, well, she has a TV show called The Surreal Life, which is actually pretty good. I watch it. And he was angry that I had an answer for it. He was so against, uh, so, so against Paris Hilton. <clears throat> but there, there's one cool person signifier that thousands, perhaps millions of people of the early millennium are stuck with for good. A mustache tattoo, otherwise known as the finger stash. It's so, it's so horrible. People still have them. Imagine you just look at your hand and there's a mustache on it. And you're like, fuck. <coughs> it was a time when the U.S. was infected with a different insidious virus, ironic mustache fever. It seemed no one was immune. Shirts, jewelry, coffee mugs, dog toys, and countless other products emblazoned with big curly mustaches were everywhere. They were silly objects meant to somehow elicit a laugh. Here's a pint glass with a mustache. Crazy. Here's a pacifier that makes it appear as though your infant has a 70s porn stash. A three-foot-wide steel mustache lit up with 25 glowing bulbs to hang on your wall? Sure, why the hell not? How about a cursed septum ring that hangs down into the metal curly mouth rug? What? <clears throat> what is that? Do I even want to see that? Oh, okay. It's like if you have a pierced nose, like the inside of your nose, you can put like a fake wire mustache in there. Yikes. Um, 
And remember, uh, didn't remember that company Lyft L Y F T, which is like an Uber competitor? Didn't they? I think around that earlier time, they, their cars had uh, pink mustaches on the front, like large pink mustaches on the front of the cars. I remember seeing that at least in California a while back to show that they were lifts. Yeah, the whole obsession with mustaches was weird. While nearly extinct, the fossils of this trend can still be found from time to time, marked with faded clearance price stickers and buried on bottom shelves at Ross Dress for Less. In many ways, the finger stash tattoo is one of these remnants, serving as a bodily relic of a time when the passion for stash and reigned. <laughs> as the lore goes, the finger stash came to be into like why not just take a sharpie and put a mustache on your finger and it'll wear off in like a few days try a sharpie first and then yeah. well, Columbus, Columbus based tattoo artist Giovanni Faenza reportedly came up with the idea gee thanks Giovanni for ruining all these people's lives in a 2006 video interview with now defunct marketing blog Midwestern goodness, Giovanni explained the origins of the tat. Oh, is the video still there? The real finger, finger mustache story, tattoo story. This is the guy that started it. He has to feel so bad. I, I mean, it's a lot of karma to deal with. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's other tattoos people regret too. This one is particularly annoying. Are they going to talk? Are they going to... What is this, B-roll? High Street Tattoo. Giovanni, here he is. That's the guy. He really reminds me, you know that um, the douchebag um, <clears throat> meme of that guy wearing that, like that brown hat with checkers on it or whatever. He kind of reminds me of that guy. Um, can you tell us about how the finger mustache tattoo where it came from. Tell us a little bit about that story. I think uh, we had a general love of mustaches anyway to begin with, and we were all. This was when I worked uh, at another shop in town. We were all talking about how funny it would be to have a mustache tattooed on your finger just because it would be funny and there would be like, nobody could be offended by a mustache on the finger, you know? And uh, it just kind of materialized from there. Somebody happened to be standing right there, the guy's name's Tom, um, and he said, shit, I'll do it, you know, right now. So we busted out the tattoo gear and I put the first one on him and it just kind of snowballed from there, you know? we. Uh, we started coming up with different kinds of mustaches. Ay, ay, ay. It's very sad. <coughs> wow. Wow. But Tom is far from the only person with skin permanently adorned with the preferred facial hair of minor league relief pitchers, 1920s boxers, the Pringles logo, and Justin Bieber in his semi-recent now-defunct dirtbag stage. No wonder Vice went out of business. What is this writing? Were they trying to be cool with that writing? Is Vice out of business? Why is the website still there? Once Tom po posted his tattoo on MySpace, things took off from there. The finger stash went viral among young people who got a laugh out of holding up their tattooed finger over their top lip for comedic effect. 
spreading the trend on MySpace and Facebook, and eventually as social media expanded, Tumblr and Instagram. <coughs> wow. There's endless story. I mean, the p- people are traumatized. These poor people. You know? <coughs> That's the main reason. I've never got any kind of like... Uh, tat- I never was a- ever interested in a tattoo because to me, it's the ultimate expression of screwing over your future self you know and i understand that might be part of it like it's permanent you have to deal with it that's why it's cool is it cool though i don't know listen i know a lot of you out there probably have tattoos maybe you love it i don't know but especially as a graphic design obsessed i'm obsessed with graphic design like i would be devastated if i had a tattoo that i later felt was not good graphic design Yeah, here's another article about it. Maybe you're thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And you're right. The ironic mustache trend of the early 2000s, which still persists today, was dismissible. But this micro-tattoo iteration was as annoying as a proliferation of yacht rock fever. Listen, yacht rock fever is a good thing because the music that they now call yacht rock is great music. (coughs) Even though I ran into a guy, the guy that runs the record store, at uh, the uh, Rockaway Mall, I mentioned Yacht Rock, and he went off on me. He's like, yeah, that's not real. Yacht Rock was never a real genre. And like, he was just like, get so angry. It's so funny when people get angry about things like, like Yacht Rock or Paris <laughs> Hilton. But, uh, yeah, in fact, yeah, we, we went down a Yacht Rock uh, rabbit hole at work uh, yesterday. And found this. I found this cool website, Yacht or Not. <coughs> we'll get to that in a second here. <coughs> um, where were we? Yeah. Uh, men and women alike thought the finger stash was the height of sardan- sardonic hilarity. You couldn't toss a PBR can at a future head show without hitting some mullet head in a ski cap and Hawaiian shirt throwing stash signs. <laughs> <coughs> oh my god <coughs> yeah but that original Yacht Rock um, YouTube show that definitely was also at the height of um, you know the, the hipster era and like Yacht Rock was sort of the perfect because hipsters loved to look at people from the past who, who were doing things that in retrospect seemed kind of silly but they were super confident in and they were just obsessed with that so Yacht Rock which the music is actually great music. Um, people had must like you know I, the, the whole argument started, the discussion started. Our hole and oats yacht rock, and I said you know, I, I understood that I said I don't think they really are very yacht rock, and so I found this site yacht or not. So y a c h t o r n y a c h t dot com yacht or not. And it rates songs based on their yachtness. So, and apparently it's based on a podcast and there's four judges. The only song to get a pure 100 as as Yacht Rock is the Doobie Brothers' What a Fool Believes. And it links to the YouTube videos. So this song, which is a fantastic song, obviously, is the epitome, the central Yacht Rock song, you know. 
Can you imagine if, if young people were making music like this today? What the hell happened with music? This was just, what, 70, uh, 79. Like, no, this is song is no joke. It's a fantastic song. The musicianship, the singing, the composition, the melody, everything about it is fantastic. I guess you could say the fashion of the musicians and is a little funny from today's perspective, but this is no joke. This is a great song. Michael McDonald, forget about it. I need to get more into the Doobie Brothers. I don't. But we have to get to the main part of the song. Gotta get the part. What a fool believes. get to it in a minute here. <coughs> here we go. This part right here. <coughs> they're, it's like they're accessing some kind of musical energy or some kind of information. It feels like it's jutting into other realities there. That other song, Reminiscing, is that on there? My Little River Band? I don't know if that's considered Yacht Rock, but... Yeah, that song only gets a 51.75 Yachtness rating. But you know, this song, it kind of gives you that same. But there's a certain point at this song where it feels like it's moving into that other dimension. This, this this could get a higher rating. I mean, another great great song. This part where it goes. Dun, 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 dun. No, we're not there yet. So where is the part? It's, it's got to be coming up now, right? Dun, 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 right? Come on. Yes, this has got to be it. This is what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Not as quite as much as the other songs. So, <clears throat> but yeah, this is a great list. There's hundreds of songs on here. <coughs> you know the songs up. You know Kenny Loggins, <coughs> Heart to Heart, <coughs> Steely Dan. The top one is actually FM, No Static at All, at 93.75. Christopher Cross Sailing is only 94.5. You might think that would be a hundred, but these guys are tough. There's actually some newer songs that are, um, some 2023 songs that I never heard of. Page 99, Did You Mean That? from 2023. This is like new yacht rock. Right? This gets a 68.25. Brand new music in the yacht rock vein. And yes, they even have the fairly obscure Larson Fighting Band. I remember I got their <coughs> their record uh, 
Who'll Be the Fool Tonight is number 91, but they have what's the other song? Phantom of the Footlights gets a 79. This, uh, <coughs> this genre before the hipster area was called the California sound, and it was huge in Japan, right? So when I bought this the CD, I must have read a review about how it was similar to Steely Dan, which I've loved for such a long time. But right, this has that same sound, and I got the CD with uh, like I think two of their albums on it. You pulled in from Baltimore, and my heart was filled with joy. It's got a 79 rating. I was feeling strong as if I was anyway. Yes. Anyway. Are you one of those people listening with a finger stash tattoo? I hope not. But if you are, how do you deal with it? What is your uh, daily routine? Do you wake up every morning and, like, you were dreaming and you're, like, forgot that you had a finger tattoo? And then you're like, ah, fuck. Now I remembered I have that damn finger mustache tattoo. Talking about other kinds of music here. Fish, of course, which I talk about a lot on the show. And you may remember... On New Year's Eve, I was I attended the amazing show on <coughs> New Year's Eve. Probably, <coughs> I'm sorry without all this coughing. Probably the the most important fish show of all time, and I was there. Well, they put it on YouTube yesterday, so just go to the official fish channel. You can find Fish 1231 2023 Gamehenge 4K HDR New York New York. This is actually a different video edit than what they broadcast. It's better because, for example, on the, uh, the live video, when, when Jimmy throws the poster nutbag um, puppet, you don't see it. Here you do see it. So that, that's how I knew they re-edited it. So it's over two hours long, and you can watch the entire thing and see what was so great about it. It includes the songs Harpua, The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, The Lizards, Punch You in the Eye, this song, ACDC Bag, Tila, Llama, Wilson, The Sloth, Divided Sky, McGrupp and the Watchful Hosemasters, Colonel Forbin's Ascent, Fly Famous Mockingbird, New Year's Countdown, All Lang Syne, Split Open and Melt, and then they have the credits. <coughs> they sort of retrofitted Split Open and Melt to be a Game Hinge song. But it's fantastic. Mr. Palmer is concerned with the thousand dollar question. Just like Roger, he's a crazy little kid. If you've got the inclination. Yeah, that song is about um, <clears throat> this guy Roger, who was uh, sort of um, funding the revolutionaries, and he was caught you know, sort of siphoning money off uh, by Wilson, the king of Prussia. And uh, so he was going to be hanged for his crimes. And um, they're using a a robot hangman known as an ACDC bag, you know, like the hangman with the... (coughs) They usually wear a hood. This is a robotic hangman, an ACDC bag. Yeah. And by the way, that... ACDC bag jam when and then as Tila was slowly arriving on her multi beast. It's very amazing. In fact, let's hear a little bit of it. The jam part. And then like yeah, so Tila goes all around the uh, the, the floor general admission area 
on her multi-beast and finally arrives on the stage. now join some cigarillos so I saw a, a video yesterday it's a keynote of this new technology company that is releasing a product called the rabbit r1 it's like an AI powered personal assistant and um, whereas I don't necessarily think this product is this has there's some red flags with this company and this product and I had the opportunity to pre-order it. I decided not to. And uh, But I think the idea behind what they're doing is really important and interesting. And that's why I want to talk about it because I, I, I think that, like, as people on Reddit found out, the co- people behind this company well, – I forget what the company is called. The Rabbit is the – maybe it's Rabbit Company. I don't know. But they were previously like a, a, a crypto company doing cryptocurrency things, you know, so – and I don't know, like to me, I really do think the whole crypto thing is kind of a scam. I don't know if everyone that works in, in that field knows that it's a scam and they're just hurting people and trying to cheat people out of their money. I don't know. That's the impression, somewhat of the impression I have, though. I mean, so anyway, um, to preface this, I, I know I recently talked about on the show how technology in the past was kind of easy to use, right? I, I use the example of a television. Couldn't really be easier. You, there's an on-off switch, volume, and a channel dial. That was about it. Obviously, even back then, you had vertical hold and things. That's one thing these young kids don't have to worry about is vertical hold. <coughs> like, why do they design the TV... So that it, 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 w- it would sort of uh, rotate upwards, you know, sort of cycle upwards, and you'd have to use vertical hold to fix it. Like, why doesn't it still happen? I think I obviously it had something to do with the cathode ray tube. And, but anyway. <laughs> and then there was tint, right? You had to worry about tint. So there was a few things like that, but it didn't really impact the general operation of the thing. And then as time went on, working a television made more and more and more and more complicated. Right. As we know, probably we're past that era, but people having five, six remote controls in front of them and not knowing what to do. Like, what do I press to watch TV? You know, And in a lot of ways, technology has gotten really from being simple to being like really confusing and off-putting and aggravating, complicated, right? So that I was commenting on that and really hoping that AI, which is sort of a catch-all term for lots of different sub-technologies really, um, could really help in making things simple again. So this product, the Rabbit R1, um, (coughs) does that. So again, I'm not supporting this product. I have no idea. It, It seems like there's some issues with the company and with the product and everything else. But the idea is really interesting. So what they were saying is this would be a little pocket device, a little bit smaller than a cell phone, like a little four-inch by four-inch, uh, you know, square device, very thin, um, that 
doesn't have any apps. It's like a phone. It's a little computer, and it's on Wi-Fi or on, on 5G or 4G. But uh, you talk to it and tell it what you want, and then it'll answer you. And there's a screen can show you things, but instead of going on apps, it's sort of a universal thing, right? So you talk to it, oh, what's the stock price of this company? Oh, you know, uh, what's the weather like tomorrow? Or can you buy me a plane ticket to go to London, England, or things like that? And it is simply through talking and uh, only the single screen. So it does away with the, the utter complication of all the different apps and switching between apps, this and that. <coughs> now, they also have taken it from the large language model, which can answer questions, to large action model. This is, again, something that's... They haven't explained very well in, in, in all ways, but they've trained, for example, the system can now operate computers and phones and things. You know, like on your PC, usually you, you're working the mouse, clicking on different buttons, typing things in. And on your phone or on a tablet, you're actually tapping, touching the screen uh, to achieve things, right? So they have now taught this, uh, this system, this AI agent, to be able to do all those things as well, to work the apps, which is really interesting. So what they have, apparently, on their cloud is a uh, <coughs> um, virtual machines, so virtual desktops and virtual phone systems and stuff where it can perform all these functions, right? So on your behalf, it could actually order food on, on Uber Eats or... Right or or get you a lift with a giant pink mustache on front, you know. That of course raises a lot of privacy questions, and if the agent is is actually buying things on your behalf, what if it screws up and buys something that's way too expensive? And that that's a lot of stuff. They weren't really being super clear on that. Um, the device itself is designed by Teenage Engineering, which is a very prestigious company with some sort of hipster aspects to it. They're the one that make that synthesizer, the OP1, I think it's called, that I've always been interested in. I, I remember I used to play around with it a little bit. They had they had them at the Museum of Modern Art gift store in New York City. Um, and they also designed, they just designed it. They didn't manufacture it, but they designed this uh, little video game system called the Playdate. And they have a very strong design aesthetic. Um Apparently, you, you can actually get a Playdate now. It's been a few years. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to get one, but it's like a little Game Boy type of thing, a little hipster Game Boy thing. Uh, <coughs> anyway, um, the actual physicality, it's a little red square. It has a screen, and it has this scroll wheel thing. I don't know how necessary that is, but I think they wanted to add something physical. Then it has a little camera that, that can swivel front and back. And... Um, they're saying this device only costs $199 and you don't need a subscription. And that raised some red flags as in they're charging $200 for this thing. How much are they could they possibly be making on each one? And no subscription fee? And it completely relies on their back-end servers to make anything happen. So those were some red flags and the fact that they used to be a crypto company. Those were some red flags people were raising. Um, obviously, the teenage engineering angle gives them some legitimacy, but 
apparently the head of the company is on the board of Teenage Engineering. But anyway, I really like the sentiment. And, and of course, it begs the question, why do I need a separate device? Why can't I just do this on my phone? Which that's what everyone's saying. This company is, is, is ahead of the curve in terms of this type of AI agent that can actually take actions on your behalf, right? And simplify things so there aren't a million apps and a million complications, right? But, right, I already have a rectangular computer in my pocket known as my my Pixel phone. Everyone has one in their pocket. Why another device? Obviously, it can do things. It can. They're claiming it can do things that they can't do. But I don't think any of these technologies are going to be particularly prohibitive for the Googles, the Apples of the world, to Microsoft of the world, to implement on their own devices. So you can do it on your own phone. So that that's another thing. Like I know it's only two hundred dollars, but it's a redundant piece of equipment. Like it's, I already have my phone. It has a camera and it has a screen. It doesn't have a little scroll wheel though. Okay, I think we can do without that. But it does feel like that there's this, even you know we have like some of those smart speakers in the house, and I have to phrase things so specifically to make it work. Like in the kitchen, like we have two of these Alexas. And they don't play along well together because when you tell one to play, it'll start playing on the other one. And it's like insane. It's so frustrating. Um, so I have to say, uh, is it Alexa? Yeah, Alexa. Uh, Alexa, resume on Denise's Echo because that's the one in the kitchen. If I don't say that, it'll start playing in the living room. And there's no way to say, no, you played in the living room. It, it's so primitive. It's not helpful, you know. So I was always thinking that once you can get real natural language where you can just talk to the computer, it talks back to you, and it really understands what you're saying, which it seems like we're getting closer to. Even with – I played around with Bard, you know, and talking to it. It was so frustrating because you could tell – it's not understanding what you're saying. It's just comparing like what you're saying to what a million other people said. I know I'm the large language model. I'm totally probably have that wrong, but it just didn't feel right. It felt like it was just like not really able to do what it says it could do, but was just faking it, you know. But I don't doubt that. I don't think that you need to get to AGI, which is the big next step, to have something that just or maybe you do. I don't know. To feel like you can just talk to it without having to structure what you're saying. Talk to it like you're talking to a person. That, to me, that is going to be the big thing because I still feel like I gave up on talking to all the like, hey, Google. You know, it's like it never worked right. Not to say it never will work right, but it's th- but anyway, this product, while it seems flawed and people cannot understand how they're going to stay in business, you know, kind of reminds me of uh, a product that I did see in person once called Moto.net. Um, actually, I mean, similar in some ways. It was a little pocket-sized device with the you know the old gray LCD screen. This was around 2000 or so, and the idea was it would receive information over the existing pager networks. So it would have uh, restaurant reviews, movie times, uh, your your horoscope. Right, and it would be updated daily, right? And uh, they were selling it at the Virgin Megastore, and I was playing around with it. I actually touched it, and I actually was f- looking at it, 
and uh, thought it was an interesting idea. But they, again, it was like you buy it and then you don't have to have a subscription. It's just the rest is free. And uh, there's there's some information online about it. Um, and they, and they were advertising like mad, like down in like Lower Manhattan. There were just endless billboards. Moto dot net this, Moto dot net that. And um, they launched it, and like I think literally like one month later, the they shut it all down. The company went out of business, and they told everyone they could bring it back and they'd give them their money back. The whole thing just collapsed immediately. It was so bizarre. So I don't know, like the idea, like. I understand, like, you're you're making money off selling the device, but the service that you have to constantly maintain, you're paying for that through the original purchase of the devices. Imagine all these people have these devices and keep them for years, and you still have to continually update the information. I don't know if that's a good business model. But anyway, that's why this rabbit seems like a similar business model. Like, how can you get... Yeah, it does. It does I, I, and some people are saying that maybe they're just trying to get bought by one of the big companies, and that's why they're creating this completely, potentially unrealistic business model just to catch the attention of the big companies that could be bought by Apple or Microsoft or something. Um, but yeah, so, and that they said they sold out of the first ten thousand units the first day. I mean, it almost felt like at two hundred dollars. I mean. It was even if it is a, a scam, it was would be worth it just to sort of be in on it. But nah, nah. It's still a lot of money. I mean, you know. Well, it's not as much. Like when I think of two hundred dollars, I think of what two hundred dollars was like in like nineteen eighty five. It's you know, two hundred dollars is worth a lot less now. I mean, well, we could actually look it up. What's my guess? Two hundred dollars in nineteen eighty five is <coughs> today's money is worth what? I'd say seventy five bucks maybe. Let's let's take a look. All right, I did the calculation. Uh, so two hundred dollars in nineteen eighty five is the same as uh, uh, wait. Do I have it right? I'm getting confused here. Yeah, I have it right. Okay, so $200 today in January 2024 is equivalent to $69 back in 1985. So, and conversely, the actual $200 from, uh, the actual $200 I'm thinking of from uh, 1985 would be worth like five or $600 now because of inflation. Completely different topic. Uh, apparently, there was another moon mission launched the other day, and it has already failed. Um, this was a private company, and this was the one that was in the news because they were. I guess they charged people. I guess they were uh, cremated remains of people that wanted to uh, go to the moon. Is that like cool? Like, oh man, my my ashes are on the moon. <laughs> And there was an Indian tribe that was trying to block it because they said the moon is sacred to them. <laughs> God. It kind of reminds me of that guy who, who, who claimed to own the moon. Remember that whole thing? I haven't run across that story in a while. 
But this guy like really claimed like he went through all the legal challenges to, that he owns the moon. Anyway, let's just go back to, you know, the Apollo missions and, you know, I'm, I don't know, but I'm fairly convinced those Apollo missions uh, from the first landing in 69 with Apollo 11 and then I think it was just a, in 72 was the last one, Apollo 17. And then we, the U.S. has not had any lunar lander since then. I do think that other, I think the Chinese and some other countries claim to have landed on the moon. Um, <coughs> but the idea that, and then NASA itself started a new program called Artemis to send people back to the moon in a few years. And claimed to have lost all of the, they lost all the plans of the old moon landers and stuff. They had to figure it out again, and they're and they're like, well, of course we need to figure out a way of shielding the astronauts when they go through the Van Allen radiation belt because no human could survive it. Without even mentioning that they sent a bunch of guys there back in the '60s and early '70s. What happened with the Van Allen radiation belt anyway? I really do feel that from all the research I've done, there's something very fishy about those Apollo missions, and they may have been faked. The fact that now, uh, 55 years later, from when Neil and Buzz strolled on the moon for the first time, they're trying to make a spaceship to go to the moon. Oh no, it failed once again. Every other technology, you go back to 69, the computer in your pocket couldn't even have existed. It was these computers were the size of basketball courts, and they would be one, one millionth as power, powerful as the phone in your pocket. Yet somehow, the technology to go to the moon has gone backwards instead of forwards, which... This was the p- called Peregrine, and it was a private company, and it did launch, but there was some sort of, let's see, <coughs> what do they say? No chance of a soft landing. Companies confirms Peregrine missions, human remains won't reach the moon. So now these people's uh, cremains are going to like just drift in space forevermore. That's kind of cool, though. <coughs> Eventually, drifting off into other parts of the universe, hey. An oxidizer leak has left the lunar lander stranded in space carrying human remains. Engineers have identified the potential cause of a fuel leak on the Peregrine spacecraft that has left it. The first U.S. craft to attempt a soft landing on the moon in 50 years with no chance of completing its mission. Yeah. The spacecraft's goal was to become the first private craft to perform a controlled landing on the moon. (coughs) was laden with instruments to measure the conditions on the lunar surface. Controversially, the spacecraft is also carrying human remains, including those of science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, and Roddenberry's wife, Majel Barrett. Didn't she play Luxana Troy in the next gen? I think so. But six hours into its maiden flight, engineers reported a technical anomaly, a propellant leak that thwarted the mission. Now the company has an explanation 
for what may have happened. So anyway, maybe they maybe they uh, didn't have the CGI budget for the fake uh, moon footage. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, was it like the complete cremains, or it's yeah, it's kind of expensive, right? Could you think with just a portion of them, or I don't know. I didn't know Magil Barrett was going too. She she was the voice of the computer on all the the early Star Trek. Working right, that was her. Arthur C. Clarke was he the guy that did some? What was he into? There's some weird stuff with Arthur Arthur C. Clarke. I don't know. All right. Well, here's here's the two some headlines. Yes, Arthur C. Clarke was likely a pedophile. And the next article, Arthur C. Clarke, not a pedophile, Sri Lanka. Okay. I don't know if he was or wasn't. Now, now he's stuck in space. <coughs> they're they're all on their own Star Trek together. I mean, but they're not saying is it or is it going to eventually fall into the sun or is it going to go out into the universe? That would be a useful question because I mean an alien civilization could probably bring them back to life from their ashes no possibly yeah anyway yeah so that whole AI thing the idea that uh, just simply a natural language interface I think it will transcend devices at some point. I, I think that what we now think of as the smartphone, like this is my phone. This is my Pixel 7a, right? Because my stuff is in it. I think that the next phase will be there'll be devices like this, but they'll be completely user agnostic. So anyone can use any phone, right? Because your stuff will be in the cloud. And... In your house, you'll have like a TV set, various screens, and you could do anything. You can do the, anything on one of them. You can do on any of the other ones, right? Because it won't be about a device. It'll be about your you know AI assistant that's in the cloud. And um, you know, I think so. We're thinking about that could happen before AGI, because AGI just changes everything. But that kind of AI might be kind of interesting. Um, it also will be a boon for the older people that have trouble with technology because right now it's the older people that suffer with the multiple remote controls and the streaming services and the computer viruses and things like that. And they just can't, you know, they're, they're not, because the user interfaces that we have all become familiar with, it's like learning a language, right? So if you get at it when you're young, you, you know it very well, but people that are older still, they never quite learned uh, the depths of the logic behind the user interfaces, right? But this next wave, as the rabbit people say, you simply talk to it. And that's it, you know. Though, of course, if you want to order a pizza on, you know, uh, a Grubhub, you have to go onto the web and connect the rabbit to your Grubhub account, etc., and then trust that it's not going to order food for itself. But then again, an AI doesn't really need to eat. 
But you know what I'm saying? It's like, especially from kind of an unknown company, to, to give them the access to buy things on your behalf feels a little hazardous, honestly. It'd be cool if it worked, but it's just it feels a little like, a, like a trust issue, especially with that crypto crap <laughs> thrown in there. Um, but I think it's also pointing out that uh, maybe the large language models are getting good enough to reach a reasonable natural language um, interface, right? Because now, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, at last I can tell, like the Alexas and everything else, like there's, they still don't work. And then, you know, you have to just be very specific with them. They're not understanding natural language. I don't know. I don't understand why, if it's all being done on the back end, why can't the Alexas work now or any of the other ones? We'll have to see. Will 2024 be the year of AI? I don't know. But yeah, this year does feel different. It feels like... uh, Yeah, it feels like something's a little different about 2024. I know that bizarrely, like, the news media and politicians are almost sort of coming out and saying, oh, there's going to be an event this year that's going to happen. And like, you know, like, aren't, aren't they supposed to pretend they don't know that these, these events are scripted? And why are they sort of saying, oh, yeah, this thing's going to happen? So that combined with, uh, you know, all the alien UFO stuff that's going on, like that thing in Miami where, there were rumors that there were like giant aliens walking around a mall and there was a huge police response but they're denying it I don't know (coughs) so there's the alien thing there's the AI thing of course where everything could change with AI there's the uh, more big events that people are saying are going to happen or may happen, and I don't know. But I also feel somewhat positive about this year as well, because as I, I always try to, as I always bring up my prediction that 2020s were going to be the best decade ever, and after the first uh, four years, right? We got through four years of it already, 2020. 2021, 2022, and 2023. It's not the best decade ever thus far. <laughs> it's, it has problems in many in many different areas. So things better start turning around in 2024, or else my prediction of the 2020s being the best decade ever may may wind up being a bit inaccurate. You know, I mean, there's also the the sort of looming, at least, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking about this world being a computer simulation or, you know, I mean, I don't want to think that it is because it makes things seem kind of, is, are things pointless if it's, if it's all a simulation? No, things could still be meaningful, right? But I mean, 
you know, deep down in my gut, I, I do get the sense that this is a simulation and possibly a, a historical simulation. That is, the real date is far in the future, and for whatever reason, we're sort of participating in a simulation of the distant past using a kind of technology that can block our awareness of our true identity temporarily while we're in this simulation. I mean, I don't I don't I wouldn't want that to be true, but deep down I, I feel like something like that is probably more likely. Which begs the question, what's going on in the quote-unquote real world? And is that another nested reality? Is it, are we in a world within a world? And that, that becomes kind of a drag after a while, too. As in, when we uh, rise out of this, when, when we sort of unplug ourselves from this, what are we? Are we still human? Are we still on Earth? Is it just the year 5000 or... Does the real world bear no resemblance to this world? And this world then is a complete fiction created by, you know, as we as humans create beings that are not human in fiction, like the Smurfs, for example. Like, you know, someone just made them up. Peo. Peo made them up, right? So, you know, like we could really be like weird giant jellyfish creatures like floating in space, but we made up humans as these weird little cartoon characters to pretend to be, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, listen, be it be that as it may. We have to operate under the assumption that this is a real world that we have to deal with and somehow muddle through, you know. But also the idea that this may be a simulation, but that you can create original works within such a simulation, such as this show, The Overnightscape. Um, I mean, you could look at it one of two ways. One, scenario one is that... um, there was a Frank Edward Nora who recorded these shows back in the 21st century. And being that there's a record of the audio, someone can live the life of Frank Edward Nora um, using the audio of the shows as the guide. And so while I'm speaking right now, thinking that I'm saying these things off the top of my head, I'm actually just mimicking what the original Frank Nora recorded so many thousands of years ago. Which itself is kind of a drag, because I like to think I'm I'm doing something original and, you know. The other scenario, which I'm which I much prefer, is that um this uh historic simulation does represent major historic events, but there was no Frank Edward Nora in the in the original timeline and this is just sort of a made up character and I've sort of um, created this situation so that I could create this radio show um, within the simulation but it is it is original to me whoever I really am you know you see what I'm saying I prefer that idea than just being you know a uh, you know. because as you know one, one of our folk foci focuses 
F what was it? F O C foci. Let's just say focuses. Because having to put II at the end of words where you could just put an S seems to be uh you know I think I think I think th- that's only for hipster linguists to say radii. No, just say radiuses, please. In this language we use the S to m- denote multiple of thing of a thing. Not the letter I I I, okay? Get out of here. Get past it. Anyway, <coughs> our focus on preserving these shows for the far future does give us a kind of connection to the future that would be absent most people, right? That is, someone in the year 5000 might get to know who I am because of these recordings, whereas most people that uh, lived in this time period probably didn't really leave behind quite as uh, direct and deliberate a, a body of work that represents their personality. Right. And then there's the other theory which is that um, in the original timeline, I did the show for a few years, then gave up on it. Say I gave up on it in like 2006 or something. I only did it for like three years. And in the year 5000, they found those records, and they're like, man, imagine if Frank kept doing this show. Well, we can actually do that. We have quantum computers that can <coughs> reach into the past and alter past timelines. So all we have to do is contact Frank using this quantum technology and figure out why he quit the show and just simply gently redirect his decision so that he will keep doing the show. And then we can uh, (coughs) draw the records of that timeline and get the complete overnight escape that he didn't stop doing. So in that sense, by in some ways inviting future listeners in if they then develop a technology that can reach back the hell a fire truck just went by it, it right it could a- affect someone that is touching the future more than someone that's not touching the future you see what i'm saying all these different possibilities none of which we do we know is true or not and I know the easiest thing to say, this is all just fanciful thinking. It's just we're all just regular people here on this planet and everything's fine. But we really come like down to it. What the hell is going on? This doesn't none of this stuff makes any sense. It it feels very inconsistent. This planet, the sky, human nature, everything. It just the, the something doesn't feel right about it. Yet in other ways it feels so right. <laughs> Like the opportunity to obsess on childhood chewing gum. It's fantastic. I, l- I love talking about fruit stripe gum. And my memories of it. Where else could you... This, this is a place where you can do something like that. Where things that can be considered frivolous or silly or trivial can be a source of great amusement. Just like those hipsters. What's wrong with a bunch of young people being obsessed by mustaches and things. <laughs> it's rather harmless. It, 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 it's not so heavy as what the young kids are into these days with the woke and the Hamas and everything else. Right? Be, be, have a little levity in life. Obsess on mustaches. That seems... That seems and, and be silly. 
seems more healthy than being all heavy all the time on everything. Frivolity, okay? Anyways, with that, I want to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey. We're here on OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. And the new book is out. Yes, just go to OnSug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com, and you can find a link to buy the new book, which just came out uh, at the end of the year. I think it was on 12-30-23, yes. Uh, the, the new book is out, OnSug Radio, the book. Cheap, cheap price, only twelve fifty nine. And that's pretty cheap, no matter how you slice it. Uh, lowest price possible. I don't make any money on it because this is a non-commercial project. And as I was saying, we're very focused on preserving our work, making it available to listeners in both the near and far future. We have a very unique style, and we have a massive archive that's all preserved, over 14,000 hours of audio. That's over a year and seven months of audio. And uh, you now know about it. And now you can benefit from it. You can listen to shows in the archive. And the book lists every episode in the archives, over 11,000. It's actually getting close to 12,000. Soon we'll be at 12,000 individual audio tracks. And uh, while I do hardly recommend getting multiple physical copies of the book, put them on your bookshelf, put them on your parents' bookshelf, your friends' bookshelves, just put them all around. The more copies, the merrier. You can also get a PDF version of the book with the addition of the digital extension, which has all of the show descriptions and much of the art. Uh, The digital extension is a work in progress. It's all in there. I just need to reformat it and add all the artwork. Um, The PDF is available for free, so you don't have to commit that uh, $12.59 to to actually see the book in all of its digital glory. Just go to onsug.com, click on the picture of the book in the sidebar, and then <coughs> that will take you to the Amazon page to purchase it, or you can download the PDF for free. I have been debating whether or not to make a Kindle ebook version, as um, you know, I do make the PDF available for free. I don't know if it would be relevant to anyone to have a Kindle version. I certainly can put that together, but I'd want to make it clear to people that. They can get a digital version for free, so it seems kind of shitty if I'm charging for a Kindle version. I don't think you're allowed to make free Kindle versions of things. Maybe you are. I don't know. Let me know if you'd like a Kindle version. I don't know if that would be relevant for anyone at this point. But, uh, yeah. Um, also, don't forget, your voice can be in this archive. There's a show called Overnightscape Central, which uh, hopefully soon, maybe this week, uh, Dave in Kentucky will put out the first episode of the revived series since it uh, PQ River finished his run back in November. Dave in Kentucky's taken over and l- yesterday was the deadline for the uh, January's episode. But there's always more episodes so just uh, go to uh, there'll be an episode each month so go to onsug.com find the latest Overnightscape Central and you will find out how to have your voice on the archive. Just record it and send it to Dave and uh your voice will be in the archive. I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the new episode, which, again, should be out soon. 
which is about fast food, the occult, and other bad ideas. Great, great topics. I enjoyed recording for it, and hopefully we'll hear a bunch of other people, maybe even you, talking about those topics. And I'm still, I'm still working on you know, supporting the listening system that is making it easier for people to delve into and explore the archive. Uh, that's sort of one of my big projects for this year is figuring out how to do that. Obviously, AI would be enormously helpful in this regard. And who knows? We may have to wait for the AI thing for it to really work. But I'm going to try to figure out what I can do before AI is available to uh, support that. Because exploring this archive is quite a uh, wonderful journey, as many of you know. Anyways, another wonderful journey you're about to go on involves an audio realm where you never know what you're going to hear next audio clips and music from all over the place. This uh, feature has been going since uh, the start of 2010. Now it's 2024. So that's, uh, how many years is that? Uh, 14 years? Yeah, about 14 years. Of this, your cosmic escapade of the day, which is known as The Other Side.
blindfold on some boy now. There are things down there too horrible to see. There's one place in town that you'll enjoy. They won't give you the runaround. No way. It's called Clouds, located at 2521 North 7th Street. They'd like you to come in and look around. It's a very unique shop, but it is hard to find. All you have to do is just look for the zebra out front, and you will be at Clouds, located at 2521 North 7th Street. Remember, that's Clouds, just like the clouds in the sky. Look for the good thing. It's hard to find. Clouds. Your participating Carvel ice cream store has Tom the turkey for Thanksgiving. And he's ready and beautiful. Or you want to send one to a friend? Use the toll-free number that you see here. We honor most major credit cards. And have a happy holiday, folks. Thank you.
Ben Sogarties. Woo! Look, the sun came out. Bet you didn't think the sun was going to come out today. Folks, it's a pleasure to be here. The name of our group is Revel at Midnight. We're going to play for you a set of all original rock and roll, and we sure hope you enjoy it.
Thank you. There will be no anticipated downbeats during this set, ladies and gentlemen. None. Thank you so much. Nighttime at Walt Disney World Village. I think it's Walt Disney World Village, not Walt Disney World Village. <laughs> November 20th, daytime. No, this is what, nighttime? Early morning. Atta boy! Atta boy, Ben! November 20th, early morning, 1985. No, while playing, the mm -hmm. program for children ages two and up is children? available. Children? What's a children? At the Kinder Care Children Center. children? At the Kinder Care. What the hell is a children? Children. It's one of those things, the, the green little... Wine you put on, like, cooler children. <laughs> Wine cooler children? <laughs> film developing, Mickey Mouse Express. To have man. film processed, you may man, pick you're up wearing film. wearing women's pantyhose, man. Milling developed... Oh, shit, not again. <laughs> at one out. of these following, Magic and Polaroid Camera Center. Polynesian is news from civilization. <laughs> civilization, then? Polynesian is Take news from civilization. And fit realness is part of it. Zebra, Fort Disney World Village, Village, Gibson Center. Frank, you read something interesting to us? How about some X-Men? No, I have to write here. Dragon Magazine. Dragon Magazine. Hey, you are a slob, Fred. No, no, no. Come on.